This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome everybody. Um, so tonight, first of all, before we even begin the introduction of the introduction, I do have to mention that I was driving with my wife and we were listening to a class. And, uh, and as we were listening, people were asking questions. And I was like, in the first like two minutes, I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. But after a while, it was becoming so unbearable, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even list. And I never understood this, because I always get people that email me, you know, can we please leave the questions for last? And we try it, at, at, by all means. As I figured, anyways, it's on the topic, what's the big deal? But then when I had to sit through it, when I had to go through that, it was so difficult for me. At, at one point, I'm like, if there's one more question, I'm, I'm switching the classes. I, I just physically couldn't anymore. It was like, and my wife was like, are oh, you got to be kidding me? It was like, the other guy was saying more of the class than the actual speaker. He was just constantly asking questions. So... That being said, uh, we'll try to hold the questions till the end, and we'll we'll uh, um, we'll speak it. You know, usually and generally, most of the questions get answered throughout the class. The uh, that was that introduction. Before we actually get into the topic at hand, I do want to. This past Friday night, I was learning the Avakheim. Avakheim is an amazing, amazing sefer. I don't think they they translated into English yet, as far as I know. It just it has like crazy, crazy stories. So I want to share with you a story before we actually begin. Um, so. There was, this is a, this is a story that is, uh, you know, that Abbas Chaim brings down on Pashat Vayetze. And he goes on and he says, you know, there are certain speakers, when you go and you listen to the speakers, that they motivate you so much that they're able, you're able to change your whole mentality, but it lasts for about like two to three days. And then you're back to normal. Then you have speakers that are able to give you like a speech and then it's whatever that motivates you, that your, your like mind is on it for like a whole month. And you're completely enveloped in, the, in whatever he said. Then there are other speakers, or it could, doesn't have to be a speaker, it could be a rabbi doing something based on the, you know, something like miraculous that, that happened. And because of that, people change 180 degrees, and they become completely religious, completely about Shuvah, 100%. He brings down such a story from this Rav, Rav Shlomo Leniado. Uh, and this was the chief rabbi of his town. And what what happened was is that there was a plague that that uh, you know started hitting the town and people were dying left and right. It was just taking everybody down. People tried to go to doctors. It was like nothing. It was something of the supernatural, and they knew it. So they ran over to the to the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, you have to do something for us. There's something going on over here. We don't know what it is. Please do as much as as whatever you can. And this rabbi was a huge capitalist, a huge tamid uh, chacham, very big tzaddik. So he says, fine. Uh, he had this, his trusty Shamash, Shamash was like his assistant, that he would get to do whatever, whatever he needed, he would, he would be his right hand man. The problem was, is that this assistant was a cripple. And the rabbi, they, they told the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, it's not of your honor, you're one of the biggest rabbis, and your, your assistant is a cripple, it doesn't bestow to your honor, maybe you should get somebody that's, you know, maybe able to run faster for you, and get you to do these things done more quickly and more efficiently. And he was like, listen, you know, I really, this is, this is my guy, I have a close connection to him, nothing doing, he's staying. So, the, um, the rabbi calls over his assistant, and he says, he tells us something, he says, listen, you know, there's a big situation that's going on right now with all the, you know, the plague that's destroying all these people, and, you know, the, the you know, the assistant's like, yes, yes, I, you know, I'm very well aware, and the story, you know, the, the Abbas Khan brings down that while people are asking him to go and please do something, people are like dropping dead, it was, it was a crazy, crazy plague, so he says, so he tells his assistant, the rabbi, we gotta do something about it, so, so the assistant was like, by all means, let's, let's do it, so, he says, well, this is what we're going to do. Um, and the assistant is like, okay, you know, what are we going to do? So he says, uh, I'm going to write a note. The assistant's like, oh, awesome. And he takes, he takes a note, he takes a piece of paper out, writes a note, and puts it in an envelope, and he says, take this note. The, the assistant says, got it. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to go to the synagogue where, we, where everyone prays, the entire town prays, Mincha and Alvit, and I want you to stay in there, the, you know, until ev- when everybody leaves. Assistant was like, no problem. He said, what happens is that then they're going to lock up. The person that locks up is going to check to make sure no one's there. Make sure you're not in his sight. Go hide somewhere that he's not going to be able to see you, and therefore you'll be able to stay while the door is locked. So he's like, okay. Um, and then the rabbi goes on and says, now after a certain while, what's going to happen is, is that the entire synagogue is going to filled with demons, destroyers, you know, damaging spirits and things like that. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, he's like let's, let's back this up a little bit. He's like, no, no, don't worry about it. And he says, when you see all those da- damaging spirits, the demons that come in, you jump out of your hiding spot 
and you give those, the, the three main guys my letter. He says, how are you going to know it's going to be the three main guys? Because they're all going to gather around. They're going to be by the bima, in the center of the synagogue. And they're going to take out a piece of paper and they're going to start reading down the names. He says, before they start reading the names, you jump out and you give them this letter. So at this point, the, the assistant was crying. He was like literally crying. He's like, please, no, I don't want to do this. I, you know, can we do it? Can we maybe email them? Or can we send it by postal or something? Or something, you know, that we can do without it? So this was before email. So... Um, so he goes and he says, he says, don't worry about it. I see that you're nervous. You have nothing to be nervous about. You're doing it on behalf of the Torah and you're, you, nothing bad is going to happen to you. And in fact, the rabbi says, the, the part that you're crippled by, you'll get healed by doing this. So he was still, he was still, you know, he was, he was so scared that, you know, but what can he do? The rabbi said, the rabbi said, what the rabbi said he's going to do. So he goes and he prays in Minchan Avit, and that's a prayer that he had. And after everyone starts leaving, he goes and he hides in one of the book uh, bookcases, and you know the the bookshelves. You know, and they had like a the the panels of the book. When they close, you're able to like see like through the slip. So he is going in there, and uh, you know everybody leaves. The door locks. The light shut. You know the light shut down. And uh, I don't know. If, well, you guys for sure haven't. But if you have ever been in like a synagogue at like midnight and no one's around, there's always like one flickery light, which is never flickery. Ever, because you've just been there, but like, like midnight comes around, one light decides to do a little, like a little dance, a little flicker. Uh, I've been, I've been, uh, it was maybe 12 or 1 a.m., I was in, it was in, you know, one of uh, the synagogues that I learned, and you, when you're in there, it was a huge place, you're like, you know, like, uh, you ever see a squirrel that's, you know, eating its, like, stuff, and all of a sudden it just, like, stops eating, and then it's just like, <laughs> so what? Uh, is that something? You know, like, as if someone's calling it. Um, so, <clears throat> that's how I was every time I heard or I thought I heard something. It was like, I'm like, you know, trying to learn, all of a sudden, like, so what? You know, what, what's going on? I, after a while, I'm like, this is not happening. I got, I went, to, I went home, I was going to learn in my house. But, um, imagine the scenario where you're expecting demons to come up. Like, he's expecting a company of, of these things. He's going in there and he's sitting in this, in this closet and he's waiting for the, you know, these, the, these, and he starts crying. He's like nervous. He's, he's, he's terrified. He's shaking. He's like, he doesn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, like the rabbi said, the place starts getting filled up. And, you know, it brings down the story. He says the faces were so different than human faces that, you know, but when he saw them, he physically stopped breathing. He just couldn't breathe at that point. And he saw that they were all coming. And just like the rabbi said, they came on, they came on the, on the bima. They came over there in the front. There was a, you know, one of the large ones over there took out his, his scroll. He was starting to, you know, got about to read it through. And, you know, in his mind, you know, the assistant was sitting in there and he was like, let's do it. You know, he was like pumping himself up. All of a sudden he goes, he jumps out at the thing. And the second that he jumps out, he realized that he's not crippled anymore. He runs up to the front of the, to, to, to the main uh, demons. He takes out this letter and he's like, here. And, or he's like, here. <laughs> and he takes it, and the, the, this, uh, you know, this, the head demon takes it, opens up the letter and starts reading it in. And he's like, he's like, this is signed by the, you know, the chief rabbi of Shlomo Liniado. He says, uh, we don't have, uh, we're not going to be here anymore. He's like, everyone, I'm packing up, we're going to Baghdad. And they left, they just, they, you know, he's just like sitting there like, what just happened? Like, they all just like left, and, you know, he, he just like, he, had, he didn't even know what to do. So he just ran right away to the rabbi's house to tell him what happened. The rabbi was, you know, opened the door. He said, you know, Bo Hashem, I'm so happy that everything, you know, everything went out okay. And what happened was when people heard about this story and they heard about what happened, the people changed 180 degrees. They changed 180 degrees. Like, wow, that's, that's unbelievable. The rabbi was able to do that. They see the truth. They see what goes on and they see what the, the, what, what the sins actually do to the people because that's the whole reason why there was an epidemic. The reason why I thought this story was appropriate for today's topic is because Today's topic is, is a topic that I prepared over three years ago. I had it prepared. I have it written up. I, I never gave it before. Um, I, and I wasn't sure if I was ever going to give this topic. I found it interesting and fascinating. And, and I, it, it was, it was, I was very on the fence if I should ever give it. I shouldn't give it. And you'll probably see as we go on for the stories uh, why. But I... Um, you know, I recently did a topic, you know, a very men-sensitive topic, but it's also for, for women on wasting seed, on, on uh, you know, guarding your eyes. Yes, it is. I, I would say so also. Uh, guarding your eyes and things like that. And this is a, um, this is a topic that sort of builds on those types of sins, 
but a little bit more an advanced level sitting. So, and you'll see what I mean as we get as we go uh, on with the topic. So, this is a very very important topic, and I think one of the most important reasons I found for giving this topic it shows you the severity of these uh, of the of certain sins, and it shows you how real it is and what actually goes on after somebody dies. What what's really in the in the you know. I guess, you know, life after death, what, what could actually happen. This is uh, a topic that, you know, if people are sensitive, I would not recommend to, well, you know what, learn it. You know, be sensitive, wake up maybe a little bit in life. What? Genom. Genom, and your soul gets washed up. It's your most. Oh, we're, <laughs> this is going to be like a cake towards for Genom, what we're dealing with uh, yeah. today. Yeah. So, uh, and not like the good cake. <laughs> you know, if that exists. Um, okay, anyways, so the a few things that we want to know, we're going to learn from this also the severity of certain sins. We're also going to, you know, figure out, you know, before when I was giving this top, when I was preparing for this topic, actually, you know, it was like two days ago, I decided that I was, you know, let's see what science says about this topic. And I started searching it, and then I was like, I didn't even want to, I didn't even feel the need to go into any more research on it because... The two, the, the you know, of the two largest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, they both state that this this is a you know this is an existence. And in fact, the Vatican in the in the 1600s they wrote out a um, you know guideline on how to do an exorcism, um, and then they revised it in 1999. I don't know what took them so long to revise it. They should revise it again because it's probably all wrong. Anyways, but. They do have, it's known. Muslim, Islam is also, it's known this, this, uh, you know, this thing. There was documented cases that they had it. So the question is that we're gonna just try to discuss is that if it's documented that let's say they had a priest that did an exorcism and then it worked. Now, may, you, maybe, uh, I would, I would venture to say that the majority of them were not actually real, you know, possessions. But, let's say one there was, and they were able to, to exercise it. How is it possible? If ours is a real religion, and theirs is a fake religion, then how does it work? How do they have the power to do anything? So we're gonna speak about that. We're also gonna speak about what is, uh, the purpose of getting possessed. Like, why does this, uh, you know, thing happen? Okay, so, uh, to begin, we have to first give a little bit of an introduction. I think this is the third introduction that we're giving today. So, the, uh, um, on the introduction on what goes on after a person dies. We spoke about it more in depth in the reincarnation class, but that was a while ago. The, um, there's a few options that you can go to, um, you know, after you die. There is heaven, which is, you know, you know, yes, please, one ticket. Um, and there is hell, which is, no, please, pass. Uh, then there is reincarnation, another option. Then there is another option, uh, which, I, I don't know why I'm saying option. It's not like you go up there and be like, yes, welcome to the afterlife. Uh, door number one, we have heaven. Door number two, we have hell. Would you like to see our uh, further? Let's be like, no, it's okay, I'll just take the first one. I don't even hear yeah, the rest of the menu. Um, but um, it's not options. You don't have options. You, you, you have options here to decide of which door you're going to go down into. But once you get over there, the options are already uh, decided for you. So you have heaven, you have hell, you have reincarnation, you have something else called kafakela. Kafakela is like the in-limbo state. You're neither here nor there. You're not in heaven, you're not in hell, you're not in reincarnation. You're sort of floating. Uh, in, but it's not like, cool, you know, like I'll go visit Paris, you know, I'll just like float over there. It's very, 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 very painful. It's worse than hell. It's worse than hell to be in, the, in this, uh, uh, you know, you know, situations. You know, there are. You, you, to, so these these like floating spirits in limbo are the spirits that did so much sins that even they they can't even enter hell, which means that they have to get cleansed before they even go into hell. And to to understand that is think of it like uh, you know when a person. When a person goes and, and he does a sin, so there's something called a klipa. It's like a shell that cov- that surrounds that, that person. It's not like a shell, like, oh, like a cool shell, you know, I have a shield. Um, it's a very, very negative. It's a, it's, yeah, it's like a stain. Uh, yeah. And, but it, think of it as a klipa, as, like a, as, a, as a shell. The more sins that you do, the thicker and the stronger the shell becomes. Now, after a person dies, there is a, what happens is there's four angels that come in and they grab the extremities of the person and they violently shake this person in, not like in a nice massage way, like violently, violently shake it to just to get all the, the klipa broken and off so they can remove the, the, the soul. So this, think of it like this. Think of it like, um, imagine that you have a car that has not been cleaned in a very long time. 
and you want to clean out the car. So sometimes vacuuming is not enough. You have to take the floor mats and you have to start like whacking it against like a metal thing, and you know, and then there's like it looks like a nuclear explosion with all the dust that comes out. Uh, then you, with the first time that you that you hit it, so a lot of smoke comes, a lot of dust comes out. The second time, also a lot, but a little bit less. And the more that you hit it, the more cleaner it becomes. Think of it like that. So it's sort of like um, you're you're cleaning the klipa off the off the person. So now the people that have a very, very, very serious, you know, klipa, and they're not able to do to certain sins, they are left roaming in the world, and it's not just roaming, like, just chilling. You are getting tortured by these mazikim, these, like, damaging angels, these, like, demonic beings, that they're constantly torturing you um, as part of your as part of your sentence. So these souls that are in the limbo state, these are souls that have the ability to possess other other human beings. These, uh, you know, if you think of it, you know, like, um, you know, like the idea behind haunted houses, or whatever, things like that. Generally, so there's the, demo, the demons, let's say, that they could be there. There could also be souls. like, And that's, you know, like, let's say you're in a house, you're all by yourself, meaning that we were speaking about the topic, and all of a sudden you're sitting there, and just picture this what happens. You're, um, you're looking at a closet, and the closet door just opens by itself. So you'll probably be like, you know, well, first of all, your heart is going to go like 7,000 times a minute. But then imagine while you're looking at it, like, things just start falling out of the shelf. Your next step usually is packing up your bags and moving away from that house. You know, you're just you're leaving it. But what can that? You know, again, that's this is not a very common thing. But what what would that be? That would be either you know a demonic thing, or it could be one of those type of, of spirits of a haunted, uh, um, you know, type of a situation. I had a, had a, I don't know if I ever said this on on camera, but um, I had um, you know somebody who comes to my classes often. You know, he he came over to me once after. He, if he listens to it, he'll know. He, I'm talking about him, but no one else will know what I'm talking about. So that's why I feel comfortable in saying it. Uh, that he was once in a house and he was on his phone and he was you know he was visiting, so he was he was sleeping sleeping in one of the other rooms and the place was dark and he looks at his phone. And accidentally, you know, I guess he, you know, he was going for one of the apps, and he accidentally hit the camera app. So it showed him what was going on in, the, in, in you know, in the in the distance. And he looks at it, and it, there's like a form of an old woman. And he's like, he looks away from the camera, and there's nothing there. And then he looks back at the camera, and it's there. What? It was there on the camera, but it was not on there. He said it was like this blue. So now that we finished the introductions. Okay, now we could actually, uh, you know, begin. So, the, and also there's, by the way, there's a proof for this. That, oh, so I first have to mention where I get most of my sources from for this class. So from this class, there was, uh, there's, there's a sefer called Minchat Yehuda. Today's class is brought to you by Minchat Yehuda. Um, this is Rabbi Yehuda Fetaya. He was, this is a class, this was recently put into English. Um, and it's a phenomenal, phenomenal sefer. He has a whole, this rabbi was his specialty. One of his specialty was, he was a very, very big capitalist, lived in the, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And, um, and his specialty was exorcisms. He actually speaks a lot about it. He has a whole section, the, the spirits that speak about about this. Um, so a lot of the stories that we're going to come out from, except for the first one at least, is going to be from his uh, from his Sefel. So the um, and he brings down that in Yecheskel chapter thirty-seven, uh, verse nine, it speaks about that the when the when they were resurrecting the bones, it says that the spirits were coming from all four corners of the world. Why were they coming from all four corners of the world? Because they were roaming the four corners of the world, and that's why they had to come back. Because these are spirits that were were roaming. The um, the final point before we really, 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 really begin is the way that we're going to discuss this class. These this class, it's going to be a series. I don't know how long, how many classes it's going to take us. Uh, maybe two, maybe three max. It will be the way that we're going to learn about this is through stories. Um, and you're going to gain, so the details that I'm going to tell you in the stories are very, very important because I'm going to make sure to say specific details in it. Um, so those are going to give you a lot of information and we'll learn a lot from it, uh, from these stories. So the first story comes out in the time of the Arizal. At the time of the Arizal, there was in Sfat, there was a, um, uh, there was a certain person who has, who had an inn. He was an innkeeper. And one day he was walking through his halls and he heard, it was late at night, and he heard this, this crazy, crazy screech and a scream. And he rushes to where it comes from and he hears that it comes from, he had a certain uh, tenant that would rent long term from him. It was a widow by the name of Naomi. So she, you know, he heard a scream, so he, you know, he knocks on the, he knocks on the door and, you know, to see if everything's okay. And the door is, you know, like, 
you know, just like open slowly by itself. So he's like, you know, he's like, is everything okay inside over there? No answer. So he opens the door a little further. It's like, it's dark in the room. And he's like, he's like, Naomi, is everything okay in here? And there's still no answer. So he takes his lantern. There's no like light switch. It was like 500 years ago. He takes his lantern and he, you know, he lights it, you know, he picks it up to try to light up the room and he sees that the woman is sitting with his back towards him, like very, very stiff facing the window. So he's like, he's like, Naomi's everything okay. I heard a scream over here. Not a move, not a sound coming out of her. So he goes on and he starts walking a little bit closer with his lantern. He's like, Naomi, is, are you okay? Nothing. And so he goes around to see her, you know, in, you know, to take a look and see what's going on. As he brings the, the, the lantern close to her face, he sees her face, he drops the lantern and he runs out. He saw her and she was, uh, you know, he also screams and, you know, he runs out. She was, her face was completely paralyzed and twisted and her eyes were like bulging out of her, out of the socket. The face, you know, the, the veins on the face was as if they were going to explode and she did not blink. There was like no, it was like, just like, and that, by the way, is one of the scary, for me, it's like, if you, have you ever spoken to somebody and they don't blink for like a certain amount of time? They're talking, but you're like, you're like, just blink, blink. Why are you not blinking? Like, here's some dust, you know, like, um, so that she didn't blink. She didn't. And and he just got so, so flipped out from that, that he just ran out. It was the middle of the night. He ran to the doctor's house. He's like, you got to, there's something wrong with it, with Naomi, one of my tenants. You got to come look at her. So he quickly gets dressed. He quickly gets all the stuff and he runs, um, and he runs over to the inn. He goes over to the inn, and uh, the doctor comes into the room, and he's like, uh, you know, and she's still in the same exact position. And he's like, Naomi, are you okay? Is everything okay? And as, and you know, as he's talking to her, he sees that her face begins to tighten even more, and her eyes get wider and wider. And then a voice comes out of her, but it wasn't her voice. It was a male voice. And he's the male voice that comes out, and the voice says, um, you know, I'm not Naomi. And, uh, he says, uh, you know, you know, then the doctor is like, uh, you don't need me. <laughs> you need like a rabbi or something. This is not, we did not learn this in medical school. So he says, uh, so the doctor says, we want to help you. We want to try to help you out, you know, and we're going to get you a rabbi. So the voice, you know, goes and he says, you're going to help me. So you're going to help me like you could help yourself with all you and your nightmares. So the doctor was, you, you know, suffered from nightmares. So he's like, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you mean about my nightmares? So he's like, he's like, you know, and I, I know that you suffer from nightmares. He's like, oh, so the doctor was going to test him. He's like, oh yeah? He says, what did I uh, dream about tonight? So the spirit said, uh, you didn't fall asleep yet, which was true. So he was like, okay, what did I dream about last night? So the spirit said, last night you had a dream that you were learning Zohar with your rabbi. And when you looked down, you saw that you weren't wearing any clothes. Which is also true. He had that dream. And the spirit went and then interpreted the dream for him. He says, you know what, this, this is the reason why you had that dream is because that you're trying to learn Kabbalah when you're not even, you didn't do the basic stuff yet. You're already, you're jumping way too hard, you know, ahead of the game. And, um, so while, while they were, you know, they were speaking, there was, you know, there, there was a crowd that was, you know, going around them. I mean, there was no entertainment back then, you know, this was like, you know, like, someone scream. Let's go, everybody. So they're like, you know, they gathered around. So the, one of the, one of the, one men over there was like, you know, he saw this, like, they were telling things up here. So he's like, oh yeah? He wanted to test the, the spirit also. He says, uh, what's my wife's name? So the spirit says, uh, you don't have a wife. And the spirit goes on, and you'll never have a wife if you keep on thinking that you're the smartest man in the world. And, you know, he was like, alright, guys, have a good night. Um, anyways, they went and they called, they called a, ra- a rabbi from the Arizal Shul. It wasn't the, it wasn't the Arizal, they called someone from the Arizal Shul. So this rabbi comes in, and as the spirit sees this, you know, the rabbi, so the spirit goes and says, ah, oh, you know, my rabbi, my teacher. So the, the, you know, the rabbi goes over and says, do I know you? Like, who, who are you? He says, it's me, it's your student. I'm Ezra, we were, I was in your yeshiva in Egypt. So the rabbi, like, grew wide. He says, what, how did, what happened to you? How did you end up like this? He says, you were in my, you were in yeshiva. So the, the student goes and he says, Ezra, this, this was the soul's name now told his name. His name was Ezra. He, um, he says that, you know, when I came to learn your, you know, in your, in your yeshiva, I didn't come to learn because I want to learn about Judaism. He says, I came to learn as an intellectual, you know, you know, stimula- stimulation. I, you know, I learned philosophy beforehand. I learned sciences. I want to learn also the Talmud. I want to learn, get to, get to know about the more world. I didn't care about that. Any, you know, at any, you know, what, I didn't internalize any of the learning. And I believe in, uh, South Korea, that's the good Korea, right? Yeah, the South Korea, um, they actually teach Talmud over there. 
They actually teach that. And someone told me also in India also, they also teach Talmud. Now, it's not because they're teaching Talmud because like, let's see the secrets of the universe and what the Torah has to say about it. They're teaching it because it's, it's very advanced. And if you're able to grasp the knowledge of the Talmud, then you'll be able to almost get anything else. So, he says that's why, you know, I, I, the, the learning didn't do anything for me. It didn't, I, I didn't internalize it. So, he says that after I left the yeshiva, he says I ended up, you know, committing all the sins possible in the Torah and I was banished from hell and I was left to, uh, to uh, wander. So the rabbi was so shaken, he ran over to the, to the Rizal. He says, you know, he told, he told the Rizal what happened. And the Rizal says, don't worry about it, it's not your fault. You did whatever you could do for this student. This is, a, you know, this is all in his hands. So he says, but I'm going to send Reb Chaim Vital. Reb Chaim Vital was Arizal's, you know, right-hand man. He ended up, wrote all the, the Arizal's Sfarim. Um, he put it into, into writing. So Reb Chaim Vital came and walked in. He was a huge Kabbalist, Reb Chaim Vital, a huge study. He walks in. And when the spirit, you know, takes a look at him, it quickly, the whole body, because now the spirit is con- completely control of the woman's body, turns completely away from the rabbi. So the rabbi says, why not looking at me? So the, ra- so the spirit says, I cannot look at the Shekhinah. Uh, so, the rab- so the rabbi goes on and he starts asking him, he says, uh, and this is something that you'll see very common on these possession cases, that the rabbis ask a lot about what they interview the, the spirit. They want to know what happened. What did it, and, and for, for specific reasons. So, the rabbi says, why did you, why were you doomed to wander outside your body? What did you do that, that was so bad? So he said that his sin, his major sin was, is that he, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, he had relations with a married woman, and he brought into this, to the world illegitimate children. And he says that he's already been roaming the, the earth already for 25 years, and throughout the entire 25 years, he had three afflicting angels, three damaging angels that were always, uh, you know, on him, beating him, you know, berating him, screaming at him, and screaming at him, telling him, this is what should be done to a man who produces many illegit- illegitimate children among the Jewish nation. And he says, I'm only safe only when I get into this widow. Which is why one of the reasons the people, they, you know, they get, they, the spirits want to possess the people is because there, the damaging angels can't hurt them. So they feel safe inside over there. So the guy, the, the spirit goes on and he says that, you know, the, the suffering that I had to go through is, that anybody has to go through in the wandering stage is 60 times worse than what you have to deal with in hell. And he says that he died by strangulation. And so the rabbi says, did you at least try to do tshuva before you died? So he says, you know, before, you know, as, as, the, you know, everything was happening so quickly that I just, you know, it didn't even enter my mind. And before you knew it, it was done. And this is why I tell also there's sometimes that people say, yeah, yeah, I'll be religious, whatever, and I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll do it later. Who says you're going to have it later? And who says you're going to have the time? They're not going to, you know, not everybody gets a like, you know, Mr. Death comes in, you know, with the hood and the little, you know, hook knife and be like, hey, uh, two-minute warning, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> you know, just finish everything up. Some people are lucky enough that they do have that, you know, they know that it's coming, so they're able to put everything in order, but other people, unfortunately, are not. And sometimes these people are young, so who are we to know that how long we'll have? So this is something that we have to actually take into our consideration to make sure that if, God forbid, we do a sin, we have to do, do Shabbat right, right away. So he goes on and he continues and he says uh, he tells his history of what of, of what happened to him after after he died. He says that he roamed the earth and uh, he entered a ignorant Jew in India. And the problem was is that this ignorant Jew was doing so many sins that it was causing his soul to become more sullied with with sins that he decided to leave this uh, um, this this body because it was just making everything worse. And then from there he went into an animal. He says, but when he went into an animal, it was very uncomfortable because humans stand on two feet and he was standing. Um, on, you know, on four. So he 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 had to leave that. He left the animal, and then he ended up going to another another uh, another man who was um, this this uh, man was sitting and he was watching women wash their clothes in the lake. And from there he went and he and he entered this uh, this body. Then he, then he said that this body. He says the the family members of this of this uh, you know was a Jewish Kohen, and he says they uh, they went and they brought him to a Muslim you know ritualistic you know that deals with these type of things. And he performed all these impure rituals to try to get me to leave this body. And he says the acts of sorcery that he performed to me made absolutely zero difference on me, zero dent on me. But he says all this act of sorcery was making my soul more and more impure. I said I had to leave just for the fact that it was just making everything worse. Which we see over here, by the way, you see like sometimes you'll see like uh, cases of, let's say, documented in the Christian literature that they, oh, this priest was able to exercise, you know, so many different uh, spirits. Not because they have any truth in it, 
But because they constantly put this impurity, this avodah zara, into this, uh, into this, the, the spirit, so you're, you know, chalas, you know, this is enough for me. It's making me worse, and, and it leaves. And in fact, so then you could say, okay, but listen, at least, at this end of the day, they're getting the, you know, it, it works. It takes them out of the, out of the possession. The, from what I was reading in, um, when I was doing some research on the secular world of, you know, exorcisms. So it says over here, what, you know, thanks to the church, some, some things. So in 2003, this is recent stuff. If you think that the church can help you with these type of situations. 2003, an autistic eight-year-old boy in Milwaukee was killed during an exorcism by church members who blamed that there was a demon inside of him and they tried to get it out and then they, uh, you know, pushed it too far and they ended up killing him. In 2005, there was a young nun in Romania that died in the hands of a priest during an exorcism because she was bound to a cross and starved to try to get the demon to leave her as well. Yeah, in December 2000, uh, 25th, 2010, the, in London, England, a 14-year-old boy was beaten and drowned to death because they were trying to exorcise uh, this, um, you know, this spirit. So he goes on, this all goes on, and he says that he has to remain a, this, this wandering spirit until all the, the souls that he brought into this world, all the illegitimate children that he brought into this world die. And if they bring more illegitimate children, he has to stay longer and longer and wait until they all die out. So the rabbi goes and says, who gave you permission to enter this woman? Because they can't just enter anybody. They have to have permission to enter a live being. So this, the spirit said that, you know, she was trying to light a match and it didn't work. So she got angry at the match and she threw it on the ground and she said uh, to the satan with all of it. So the rabbi says that's not that. That's the only reason that uh, that you were able to, uh, to to possess her. So he says no. There was more. He says this particular woman. Uh, she doesn't believe that the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. She thinks of it as a joke. Pesach. She thinks as a joke. She doesn't. She doesn't believe in any of the of the Jewish stuff. So the rabbi says, I command you. I want to speak to the woman because right now the spirit was was overcoming everything. So. The what you know the the rabbi sees the face relax, the eyes go into the, everything becomes a little bit normal, and Rabbi Chaim Vital goes to her and speaks to her and he says, uh, "Do you believe that God created the heaven and the earth?" And she was like, "Yes, yes, I I believe." And he she he goes on, "Do you believe that he has the power to do whatever he wants, whatever he pleases?" And the woman started crying, "I believe, I believe everything." And the rabbi goes on and says, "Do you believe that they took the that God took the Jews out of Egypt and split the sea?" And she says, "Yes, I believe it. I believe everything." So the rabbi continues, do you regret everything that you, that you, your attitudes toward the Torah? And will you promise to go and study all of the Torah that you neglected? And she said, yes, I am deeply sorry for everything I did and I will completely change. So the rabbi spoke to, then went to speak to the spirit and he says, um, I command you to leave the spirit. So the spirit said, well, wait for the story. So the spirit says, uh, no. Uh, I'm not leaving. I'm quite comfortable over here. And he says that in the spirit goes on. He says, and if you try to force me, I'm going to hurt the woman. I'm going to harm the woman. So the rabbi says, no, no, no. You're not going to harm her at all. You're going to leave her from the small toe on her foot between the nail and the skin, a part where the least, uh, least uncomfortable for the spirit, for the for the woman that the spirit would would leave. So. And uh, then the the rabbi didn't wait for the spirit. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a negotiation table. He did something called unifications. Unifications are tikkunim. What uh, and this is how to you you exercise a spirit. You sit, it's it's special verses based on Tehillim and based on on uh, Kabbalistic verses and angels' names that they um, you say these things and it causes tremendous suffering and pain to the spirit inside. Now, if the if a rabbi would say it to you know a room full of people. It would be no effect because you all have your own one soul and you're not possessed. But if somebody would be possessed, that would cause tremendous pain and suffering to the um, to the spirit, and it would manifest itself into actual physical like 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 shaking and screaming and 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 crying from the from the woman from the person who's possessed. So. The, uh, on the flip side, even though it's very painful and suffer, and it's a tremendous amount of suffering for the soul that is the, 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 that, that possessed, at the same point in time, it actually cleanses the soul. It actually cleanses them. Based on, well, that's why we'll speak about that as well. So, the, so the, you know, he goes and he starts putting these unifications. And all of a sudden, she's kicking and screaming, and all of a sudden, her right leg kicks out. And she lets out a large, large scream, and then a powerful wind goes through the entire room. And then it's like quiet and calm. And everyone's like, you know, peeking out from behind there, you know, like where they were hiding. And they were like, you know, is it safe? Is everything, you know, happened? So, because the woman was relaxed, she was, she was laying down, and, um, you know, the woman opens her eyes, and the rabbi asks her, um, you know, how are you feeling? So she stands up, and she's like, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay. And the rabbi says, uh, it doesn't say anything. Actually, just stares at her. He's like, and he's like, um, for like a minute, and then he's like, say, uh, 
And she's like, what? He's like, say shesh my So she's like, she's like, why? He's like, it's not so difficult, you know, just just say Shema Yisrael. And she's like, listen, you know, I just went through this whole ordeal. I'm so tired, I'm, you know, I'm so laid out. He's like, very, you know, I can't say it right now. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, and he was very, he's like, say Shema Yisrael right now. And the woman stands up to full length. She has this hideous smile that turns up in her, in her, in her face. Fills up her mouth with saliva and starts spitting at the rabbi. The rabbi pulls out a shofar, pulls out, starts saying his tikkunim again, and the woman falls back, you know, back in pain and squirming back and forth, and he's saying the, the, the tikkunim, the unifications again and again and again and again, to the extent that he was, the, 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 it was actually foaming from the mouth, the woman. Until finally, finally, after a certain amount of time, the, you know, the woman, you know, you know, like jolts, and then you hear that there's, the window breaks, and it actually took part of the wall as well with it. And the rabbi said, the rabbi was satisfied, he says, now she's clean. He says, call the doctor, make sure everything's okay. The doctor came in, everything was fine, everything was cleared. The story's not over yet. <laughs> the next, the next night, the woman, what's, the next night, the woman is very, very nervous to sleep alone. So she calls one of her friends, and she says, can you please, you know, sleep in the, in, you know, in my room, I, I can't sleep in it. So the, you know, her friend, I guess one of her friends from, you know, growing up says, not a problem. Yeah, of course, well, you know, I understand what you're going through. So, um, they both, they're both sitting in, the, you know, in the room, and it's time to go to sleep. They go lay down, they go, and they, and they start, try to get to sleep. All of a sudden, there is, uh, they, they have this feeling that someone's, you know how you, sometimes you feel like someone's watching you? Like you have that feeling? So, so she, she, suddenly they feel like someone's watching them. So they, you know, they, they open the, the lantern, they light up the, 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 the fire, and all of a sudden, this large gust of wind goes through the room. The problem was, is that the windows were closed and the door was closed. So they both screamed. There was a, they just started screaming. And the innkeeper here screaming again the night after the, all this ordeal. He runs into the room. He's like, is everything okay? And they're both screaming, it's back. The spirit's back. It's back. And the, and the, the innkeeper says, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. The rabbi says that it's not coming back. He took care of it. And he has his lantern. They have his lantern. They have their lantern. And he was like trying to relax. And don't worry about it. You're just in your mind. You have to go to sleep. You have to just relax. And all of a sudden, another huge gust of wind comes to, comes through the room. This time, taking out all the lights. And this time, he screams. They scream. And they all run out straight to the rabbi. They were like, the rabbi, it's back. There's something going on in the room. So the rabbi says, impossible. Can't be that it's back. And then the rabbi's thinking, unless we left the stone unturned. And he goes over to the innkeeper and he says, um, do you check your mezuzot? So the innkeeper says, he says, yeah, I check all my mezuzot regularly. So he says, um, so the, but the innkeeper says, listen, but I, you know, she's a long-term resident. I, you know, she, what's in her room, I don't know. I don't check her, her mezuzot. So the rabbi goes over to the woman and says, do you, when was the last time you checked the mezuzot? And the woman, you know, is like, listen, you know, to be honest, just like I made fun of everything else, I made fun of the mezuzot also. I didn't really look into it that much. Um, and she says, to be honest, I never checked it ever. So the rabbi, you know, gets up and they walk over to the, um, you know, to the inn. He takes the mezuzah off the, off the hinge. It's blank inside. There's not even a paper inside. And he quickly writes a, writes a mezuzah, puts it inside. He says, now you have nothing to worry about. And really since then, she, they didn't have anything to worry about. The, the spirit was completely, uh, taken out. So that, that story is over. So, well, but let's leave the questions for that. So, one down. So now, the the you know not it's it's not always very simple and easy to do a exorcism and it actually could take the rabbis I'm talking about these big huge huge rabbis it could take them a lot uh, uh, you know a, a significant amount of time the Rabbi Yehuda um, Fataya for the Minchat Yehudai brings down that uh, and when he brings down his stories he brings down the date and the name of who it happened to so you could verify not just like something that you know just here's a story that I happened you know he actually brings dates and names as well so he says it was a, it, it was the year was 1900. And the woman's name was Hannah, and she was the daughter of Akiva. And there was a soul of another woman that became in, in, in uh, you know, possessed, possessed her. And the reason why the soul possessed her, this soul committed adultery with a Muslim man. She was a married woman, she committed adultery with a Muslim man. And Rabbi Yehuda Fataya said that it was very, very difficult for him to, you know, it was, it, it took a long, long time to actually go and exercise the spirit. Had to take a lot of people, that you had to, you know, have seven Torah scrolls, it was a whole, you know, large process that needed to be done. So sometimes it's it's quicker and sometimes it, it's actually uh, longer. The Zohar says in, in Vayikha that the souls of the wicked become the demonic spirits of the world. And here we can see how it actually comes into play, that they actually cause suffering and pain to the living people. The um, the way that it works to understand it is you have a, you have a spirit, 
There's two types of sort of possessions, but it's not really called possession. One of them is a full-on possession, so we call it dibuk. Dibuk, by the way, is a very, uh, it's a more modern term. It came about 500 years ago. Dibuk literally means devuk, to cling onto it. Uh, that came, it's, it's in Yiddish, it means to, to, you know, also to, to attach. So that's what we call a dibuk, because what happens is, is that the soul attaches itself to an existing, to an existing body. If you look in the, in the, you know, in Jewish history and older, it wasn't called dibukim, it was actually called ruchot, spirits. So, these, um, the, the one way to, for it to be possessed is that actually, they go into the spirit, to the body, and they completely take over the entire body. That is a complete possession. There's another thing called an ibu. An ibu is not really a possession, but it's where you have another soul going inside to you where you are. To, to, it's, it's an, there's two souls inhabiting one body, but the difference is, is that the, you don't, you're not aware of it. It's sort of very dormant, very hidden, and you don't know anything about it. The, where it comes into effect is if, let's say, the, one soul, this, the, the body, let's say, sins in a certain, in a certain way, the, the soul that's inside, that extra soul, if it did, if it was associated with that sin, it would cause that person to sin more and more and more on that particular sin. And the flip side, it could also be a holy, a holy soul that comes in. And that just helps you in certain aspects. This is more, we spoke about in a reincarnation class, it's called Ibu. But what we're dealing with is not that Ibu type, but we're dealing with an actual possession where it's fully possessed on, uh, on the body and it takes full control. Now, the Rabbi Yahu ben, uh, Pinchas ben Meo also brings down that people are often mistaken possession for psychotic illnesses. Um, so he says that in fact many many times this is what it is it's just an psychotic illness and they need to see a good doctor and not don't think that they are uh, possessed the, because what happens is that usually the before possession or after possession it's sometimes associated with with epileptic seizures so they would actually do they actually there's convulsions and they, they actually shake very violently on the floor so they mistaken it for maybe it you know is it a psychotic thing or is it a actual possession majority of the times you would say it's more likely that it's a uh, a, a psych issue than an actual uh, possession issue. And in fact, there was once a rabbi that a woman came over to him and she was convinced that she was possessed. She's like, Rabbi, I'm possessed, it's for sure. And uh, the rabbi, you know, looked into it and saw that not only she was not possessed, it wasn't even a psychotic issue, it was just like in her, in her mind. You know, like you have sometimes those uh, people that are hypochondriacs, they read it, they read a symptom, they're like, Oh wow! I you know I have this rare disease. One in seven billion people in the world. I definitely you know all this comes into effect. You know, so she, that's what he saw of her. Like it was just in her mind. It wasn't even a psychotic illness. So he said, "Listen, it was. This was right when the alarm clocks came out. Was invented. He had it. No one else knew about it. No one else uh, you know heard about it. So he says, you're right. Uh, what we're going to do is this: is I have this this very capitalistic machine device over here. Is I'm going to give it to you. When you hear a noise that comes out of this machine, you know that you're clean, and the, the, the you know the spirit left you. So she was like, oh, "Okay, thank you very much." So he wound it up. You know, he put it up for like a few hours in advance, and he's like, "Take it, put it next to your bed." And she takes it, she put it next to her bed, middle of the night, it rings, you know, and she's like, I'm free, you know, it's so great. She goes with the rabbit next to her, says, you know, it's unbelievable, I feel so different, you know, it, it worked, it's unbelievable. And he's like, yeah, no, Baruch Hashem. So, there was once a man that visited the Satmar Rebbe, and he said to the Satmar Rebbe, he says, you know, my daughter, he told, told, said, this man says his daughter is possessed. So, the, the rabbi went and scrutinized the daughter, and he says, um, I could refer you to a good, you know, psychiatrist, she's not possessed, she needs to see a, seek medical attention. So, to know how to properly diagnose this possession uh, versus something that is psychotic will give you some, um, you know, some criteria so that you can go out and uh, you can diagnose these things yourself. I'm joking. Please don't. Um, this is by no way mean or f- any way of form a validating that saying, yeah, this is 100% of possession, but this is some criteria that you would see in possessions versus as you wouldn't see in other places. So number one is that the victim does not speak in their own voice. They speak in a different voice. Generally, it could be a high-pitched, sort of like a young boy voice that comes out. And number two is that this person, when they speak, their lips don't move. There's like nothing that moves their lips. the voice that comes from somewhere else. Number three is that this person, and by the way, you could see what after when, when we did the first story, that her face was very twisted. She, she didn't see her lips were closed and the voice was coming out. And number number three is that they could tell you something that they would have never known otherwise about you. 
Or they could also tell you something that simultaneously is happening at the same given point in time somewhere else. So in our last, in our first story that we said, it was the fact that he was able, the spirit was able to tell about this, the dreams about the other person that's not married. They, they, they have information that they would ordinarily never have. That's how you know also it's, it's a, uh, um, it's a possession. There's another thing that's not always recorded and it's not always, uh, known, but sometimes there is a small mobile mass on the body and that's where the spirit resides. It looks like it's a protrusion of, the, in, in the body. Okay. So, the Shah Gilgalim that Rizal brings down, that it ultimately, it actually helps both the victim and the invader. It helps both of them. How does it help the, the, the soul that possessed? Because through the unification, through the tikkunim that the Kabbalist does, it actually cleanses the soul. So it actually helps the soul itself. But how does it help the, you know, the person that, that got possessed? The answer is, is that it causes the person to be like, to, to introspection and start like, you know, usually you only need one possession and you changing your life. You know, like that, that's all you need and then your, your life is completely changed. You look at the woman, the woman in our first story, her life was completely changed by one possession. So ultimately, even though it's a very, very difficult thing to go through, ultimately it does help, uh, the person, uh, uh change. There was a, a story brought down by the Levely, yeah, we'll, we'll finish soon, we'll do, maybe we'll do this last story, and we'll finish with this. There was a story brought down by the Levely, that there was a certain, uh, there was a certain Torah scholar that was a merchant, he was a very wealthy uh, man, and he was also very well learned. And he had one daughter, and he wanted his daughter to go and marry a very, very big Tamit Chacham. So he offered, you know, he went to the Yeshiva and says, I want you to get me the best guy, and I'm going to give, you know, this guy could, you know, could live in my house. Back then, it was a very, you know, common thing for people who had money. They would, they would take the son they would live in the house so that they don't have to worry about money, they don't have to worry about financing, food, nothing. They sit and learn to all day, and the father-in-law takes care of everything, uh, financial-wise, and they don't even have to, to live anywhere else. So, he says, you could live in my house for X amount of years, and I'm also promising a very, very large dowry. So, fine, you know, he got a very good big Tamid Chacham, he got it, and, and that's how the, they got married. The Tamid Chacham went, and he learned day in and day out, really was learning the entire time, and after the, the, a lot of time finished, and it was time for, you know, them to go out, the, you know, as they were, the husband and wife were talking, be like, so what are we supposed to do now? You know, the wife says, how are we supposed to make ends meet? Where are we supposed to get food from? Where are we supposed to get money from? So the husband said, listen, I, I'm learning for so long, I can't leave the Torah. I have to, I have to learn Torah. We're going to have to figure something out. So a woman thought, she said, listen, says, you know, I still have, we still have the large dowry that my father gave us. He says, she says, let's, let's invest it in a store. We'll put it, we'll, we'll buy a storefront and we'll do business through the storefront. She says, I'll take care of the store the entire day. Except for two hours. Two hours a day, you gotta take care of the store. So he says, fine, that sounds like a fair deal. And that's what they did. They went and they invested in the store. And that's what happened. For the first three months, he went and he learned day in and day out. Two hours a day, he was working in the store. But after three months, you know, the two hours turned into four hours. And the four hours turned into eight hours. Until it came a certain point in time that he couldn't even open up a gamma anymore. He was so involved in business that he couldn't learn anymore. So it was one uh, Saturday night. It was Motzeh Shabbat. And it was after midnight, it was a huge snowstorm, and the woman, the, the wife, she was going out to clean the dirty water, she was going to spill the dirty water out of the house. And she went out of the house, she spilled the water, and when she came back into the house, she was as if she was choking, she couldn't speak. So, the husband didn't know what to do, so he quickly ran, and he ran to call one of the, you know, the doctors, and says, you know, there's something wrong with my wife, I don't know, I mean, she's breathing, but she can't, it's, it's as if she's choking. So the doctor comes in, checks her out, says, to be honest, I don't know what's wrong with her. And they went, and this doctor called on specialists, and they went from place to from doctor to doctor, no one knew what was going on with her. Until people started talking in town, maybe maybe she's possessed, maybe there's something inside of her. So they went and they traveled to a, a nearby town where there was a very, very great rabbi, Mekubal, by the name of Mendel. And they went, and this rabbi, they brought him to the rabbi, and they said, listen, you know, this is her, her situation. We went to doctors, there's nothing, you know, maybe she's possessed, we don't know what's going on. So the rabbi goes, and he starts speaking to, to her. And as he's speaking, all of a sudden, you know, her lips were you know, completely closed shut, and a voice started coming out. And her stomach started raising up, and her voice started coming out. And people that were around her being like, we knew it, it's, you know, it's a difficulty, you know, like she's possessed. And the rabbi says, no, 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 he wasn't so sold if it's true. He, then he, as he's speaking to, this, uh, to the soul, he says, um, he says, tell me, uh, you know, who is with you? So the soul goes, says, I have five destructive angels always with me. So the, the, the Kabbalah says, what are their names? And the Kabbalah, and the, the woman, and I'm sorry, the soul goes and it says, and he tells them their names. And the rabbi says, yes, she is indeed possessed. And the, the, so the rabbi continues talking to the spirit and he says, tell me about yourself. What, what, you know, what, how did you end up like this? 
So he says that he was actually Yeshiva Bachar. He was a Yeshiva boy, and uh, when he left Yeshiva, he went to Africa. And when he was in Africa, his friends completely corrupted him over there, and to the, to the point that he actually ended up committing most of the sins of the Torah. And one day he was traveling on a wagon, and he fell off the wagon and he was killed. And since then, he was wandering throughout the entire, uh, you know, since the day that he died. So the rabbi asked him, again, very common question that they asked him, why didn't you do repentance? Why didn't you do tshuva? So he answered, he says, because of the fear and the craziness at the moment, he forgot it and didn't enter his mind, and before he knew it, everything was, was over. So the, the rabbi says, well, you know, how did you get permission to enter this woman? So the spirit started laughing out loud. He says, this girl's mother and her husband's mother and, the, and his, the husband's mother, both of them already passed away from the, from the world, they pressured heaven that somebody should enter them. She says, why? What do they do? So he says, because if they, if they don't change something very quickly, he says, they're not going to have anything to stand, not in this world and not in the next world, because she took her husband away from learning Torah. So the, the rabbi quickly went over to the, you know, to the husband, and then the father-in-law was there also, he says, you promised to go back into learning Torah, and he's like, oh, yeah, whatever you say, we're, we're doing. He says, he started to do Torah, and they started putting, learning Mishnayot for the soul, and they started the unification process, the tikkunim. And as they were doing the tikkunim, the, you know, the woman was sitting on a chair, and as it was getting closer that the, that they saw that the spirit was actually about to leave, the, the woman fell off the, the chair, started rolling on the floor, saying very loudly, Shema Yisrael, and then all of a sudden her fingernail in one of her hands, then the pinky, burst open, and then a glass in, in the window just completely broke, and everything, and then she became completely quiet. So they said over the story, to Rabbi Yehud Lapian, he passed away in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, and they said, you know, like this was a story that happened. He says, you know, and we hear that it's true. And the rabbi says, yes, it is true. And says, I, how do I know it? Because I heard it from the father of the woman. He says, here are the story from the father of the woman, and he says it was just two different, two different uh, um, uh, parts of the story that I heard. He says, number one, he didn't fall from a wagon. He actually was traveling in a boat and he drowned, and that's how he died. And number two, he says some extra information is that the, this, this, uh, dibuk, this, uh, a spirit, he would, when he was possessing a woman, he would actually cry sometimes. He would be, you know, he'd say like a very, you know, he was just so scared of what was, what's gonna happen to him when he leaves and the destruction of angels and what they did to him and what they're going to do to him. But as he was saying all these, you know, how scared he was and how much he was shaking and how much he was crying, in the same sentence, like a few seconds afterwards, he started speaking with complete nivulpeh, like, like speaking very, very dirty uh, language, cursing, very vile language. So they asked him, he says, I don't understand. He says, at one hand, you know, you're so scared of what's going to happen to you. But at the second hand, you know, you're speaking so disgusting. How, how does that work? You're in the next world already. You don't have free will anymore. Like, well, what is going on? So they they said... The spirit goes back and says to them, he says, you know, the way that you die is the way that you're going to be over there. There's no changing afterwards. The way that you die is the way that you're going to be. And he says, this is how he was when he was alive. He could not change afterwards. He'd get cleansed, but he cannot change. The way that he was is the way that he's going to be. And that's, the, you know, Rabbi Lepian will go on and say, he says, that, look how scary it is. He says, you could, the only time you have a chance to change anything in your life is only when you are here right now. Afterwards, it's game over. There's nothing that can be changed, and that's the way that you'll be on for you know forever. It says how how careful we have to look in our lives, and how careful we have to look into ourselves, and make sure that we are who we want really want to be. Make sure we are on a level that we feel comfortable after 120. Be like, yeah, this is me. This is who I am, and this is what I achieve. Bezat Hashem will continue next week um, with continuation of the topic. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.